Welcome to another episode of The Haber Show. This week, we've got Sam Amick, the national writer for The Athletic, an all-around great guy that I've known for years on this NBA beat. We're going to talk about the MVP race, LeBron, Giannis, and Sam's time in Milwaukee, poking around the Supermax, Milwaukee Bucks question. We're going to talk about load management and the trade wins as we approach the trade deadline, and he'll give us a quick J. Kidd story from his youth at the end. So without further ado... Here's Sam Amick. All right, so I kind of feel bad recording this podcast before the Bucks-Lakers tip off tonight because I feel like a lot of people are going to have their MVP vote signed, sealed, and delivered based on what happens in that showdown. We have Sam Amick on the line here to discuss all that, and I'm curious... Who do you have on your MVP ballot if it ended today? I don't I don't know if I saw it in your piece recently at the Athletic, but I don't know what you have. Is this is this a a policy that you you have that you don't do it midstream in the It season? is not. No, no, I do it. The truth is, I was trying to be a team player, Tom. We did this. I was initially going to write this MVP column, just give my own thoughts, and then decided to be humble enough to say I think people would enjoy reading the thoughts of the entire staff, you know, as opposed to just mine. Uh, I mean, I analyzed each candidate in this piece that came out yesterday, but took a poll of our, uh, a bunch of our folks. And obviously we have a, a large staff and within that, you know, my vote was there, but I did not spotlight it at all. So I've got Giannis up top. Um, I've got LeBron second. Uh, I got Harden third. And the Luca thing is tricky now because with him on the shelf, you're almost kind of, you know, or, you know, prematurely maybe saying, okay, he loses a little bit of ground. I mean, it's an AD-Luca combo for me from there. But the the Giannis thing, to me, is fairly clear. Uh, but like I wrote yesterday, I don't know if I have recency bias, but I cannot remember a year with this much individual greatness where, like, you have three or four guys who could look at anybody who doesn't think they are the MVP right now and just think they're out of their minds. If you look at what they're doing in a vacuum and if you look at what they're doing like in historical context, uh, a bunch of these dudes are just you know pushing the threshold in a pretty impressive way right now. Yeah, last year you voted for Harden. You wrote, you wrote about that, and it seems like he's having a better year. And now you're right, flipping and right. saying Giannis is the number one candidate, and I can't disagree with you. That's my number one guy, not just because of um, – here's the thing about MVP voting. I feel like LeBron is hurt by having AD, and therefore AD is hurt by having LeBron, and Harden is hurt by having Russ, and Doncic is actually helped by the fact that there's no clear second star – to, I mean, obviously, Chris Tapps has been playing well since Doncic went down, but Giannis not having another co-star with him, you can say what you want about Chris Middleton, you can say what you want about Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon's gone, and yet they're mowing down teams. So I think the fact that right. he's unquestionably the best player on his team is helping his case. I agree, 100%. It's funny, I just was in Milwaukee, as you know, and I had a chat with Chris that I'll probably use at some point about what you kind of alluded to, like the unique place that Chris holds um, as Giannis's co-star and the pressure that comes with it early on. Chris wasn't playing all that well, still, you know, the same questions that have been around him the past couple of years, you know, he's, is he aggressive enough in certain spots? He's just not your typical 
co-star. He got paid like one when he came up in free agency and and took full advantage of the fact that that Giannis is his number one fan. But I think those optics are definitely helping Giannis. Not to mention the fact that you know he forget about Greek freak. He looks like a Greek god and he just dominates in this way that nobody else. I mean, he and LeBron are the only two guys that. I just think make opponents shudder and play with that kind of dominant style. And certainly, you know, those optics resonate too. I, I, I noticed, don't, don't think I didn't notice Sam that you referenced the uh, Haberstat about Anthony. Davis I did and... my friend. I love that stat. Isn't that yeah. crazy? It is. I need, you gotta make sure. I mean, you jumped on that train, you covered new ground with, you know, chronicling the fact that LeBron's never had a, a better teammate as far as, uh, assist, but are you going to keep updating this number? I, I'm hoping that you're going to see this thing through. I because I don't even know how to find it to be honest with you. Oh, I can teach you offline. Don't worry. I'm I'm okay. a, I'm a giver, man. I, I all right. I um, like it. Just as long as you give me your entire Rolodex, I, I'll give you this stat. <laughs> Is that cool? Seems like a totally fair trade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yet the the stat was the 256 assists. LeBron is on pace to assist Anthony Davis 256 times this season. Uh, which would exceed any total that LeBron has had for any teammate by over 100 assists. So you could say all you want about Dwayne Wade um, and how great he is, all-time great. Chris Bosh, Kevin Love, Kyrie, all that. But no one has been the recipient of more, you know, passing amazing greatness as LeBron and AD. And I feel like they're going to split the vote with the MVP. Um, and I think Anthony David's hard to disentangle. What's AD? Why, why are they uh, atop the Western conference? Is it because of AD or is it because LeBron decided, Hey, I'm going to be a point guard and lead the team in this or the league in assists. But, um, I'm with you. Giannis clear. Number one for me. Um, Harden for me comes in at four. I have Luca number two, and I'm probably going to drop him depending on how you know this ankle shapes up. Because obviously Harden is leading the league in, in minutes. That has to be part of the conversation, right? That sure. Harden isn't just scoring about 40 points a game. But when we talk about value, uh, it's hard not to see that Harden is just playing a lot more. And that value of being on the floor and playing ahead of your bench guy... That's important. And the other side of that, Sam, this MVP is so tricky. Giannis is so good that he is on the bench for so long. Yeah, that's the Steph Curry thing of, a, of I forget which year, before Kevin Durant got there. So I guess 14, 15. Yeah. yeah Remember 70, when Steph yep. would never play fourth quarters? Yeah. I mean, that's fair. But my God, I think he makes up for it because he plays, going back to the preseason, the guy plays from a competitive standpoint as if it's the finals every time out. I mean, one of my new favorite things, Tom, when I see him play in person is to find a seat courtside. And uh, his pregame routine is, is my new favorite thing in the league because the guy gets out there and by the end of it, he's got sweat dripping off his chin. Um, I don't know if this is going to last in terms of, you know, when he's LeBron's age, is he still going to be able to, to run that hot? You know what I mean? But But you're right, from a minute standpoint, you know, I don't know if that hurts him, but it sure helps when the Bucks have got a point differential that's historic when it comes to, to just blowing teams out of the water. And he's going to get all the credit for that. What was your sense of the city, not just the fans, but also the organization? You spent time with uh, co-owner Mark Lazary before one of the games recently, before the Doncic. What is your sense on the state of 
Giannis Antetokounmpo and whether he's going to sign that Supermax next year. It was interesting. I don't get out to Milwaukee much. I enjoyed the time there. Um, you know, I, I only met Mark a couple of times. You know, I hadn't met Alex yet. Enjoyed talking to them. You know, they're they're colorful. They're candid. They're pretty normal guys, which is not easy to pull off when, you know, your father's a, a billionaire. I would say this. They are, you know, smart enough and humble enough to know what they don't know. And the results of this season, they're well aware, you know, are going to kind of put this story into one direction or the other. If they, let's just say that, you know, go through the hypotheticals here. Yeah. Um, they, they they get stunned. You know, some eighth seed Eastern Conference team comes out of nowhere, takes them out. Then they are losing a ton of sleep. If they lose in the second round, they're still losing a decent amount of sleep. If they lose in the conference finals, still losing sleep. And, and I think even if they lose in the finals, uh, you can't count your chickens before they hatch. I think that, you know, that's just all a reality of having a guy who's that good, who's entering, you know, free agency two years from now and who obviously has to make a decision on the Supermax this summer. Now, all that being said, um, they have a fantastic relationship with Giannis. I do truly believe that. I did not hear any rumblings of discontent. I heard nothing but continued, you know, cohesion between Giannis and coach Mike Budenholzer. Uh, I even, I did poke around relating to the Malcolm Brogdon subplot and the idea that, you know, we've seen this before. I remember like, uh, you know, as far as stars who get upset that a team lets a certain guy go, Damian Lillard for a short time was not happy with the Blazers because they let Will Barton go. Um, you have LeBron in Miami with Mike Miller being right. Yep. yep. Right. And especially when it's, I mean, a lot of these players, I mean, they're not really wanting to hear the, the financial reasoning behind these things. Um, they, they think about hoop and they want to win a championship. And so on the Brogdon front, you know, I was like fairly convinced that, you know, that's not the kind of thing where quietly Giannis, you know, bags on the bucks and says, you know, man, if, if this thing goes south, you know, that's the thing that's going to send me out of town. I didn't really hear that. Um, more importantly, I mean, certainly the way it, it's been framed on their side is that Malcolm was not only going to come at a very high price that had luxury tax implications, but that basketball wise that, you know, he did want more of a role. He wanted to be, um, you know, if not the, the second guy, then, then, you know, kind of 2A or 2B, I guess, with Chris Middleton and that they felt like the way they function offensively, that wasn't what they wanted to do. So I, I think they've been able to get past that one thing that people have wondered if, if that might upset Giannis. So all in all, I mean, they're in a good place. They, I would call them very optimistic going into this summer. But, but again, also they know that what happens in the playoffs is going to matter. Yeah, the Malcolm thing is interesting because he's certainly playing like a guy who deserves to be the, the alpha on a team, right? Like he's, right. he's certainly backed it up. If his – if it, let's – call it a hypothetical here. If Malcolm was like, you know what? Uh, I want to be the guy. Not l- unlike what James Harden did in OKC. Because when we look right. back on that situation, we say, oh, it was about money. It was about uh, you know them being cheapskates in, in Oklahoma City. I don't think it was that as much it was. I think James knew that he could have been an MVP. I think James saw that he was not going to be a third fiddle, that if he had his own team, he could go to the championship and win one as the number one guy. And I think Malcolm, in the same light, I thought it was interesting in your talk with Mark Lazary that he said, we re-signed the guys we needed to re-sign. 
Right. And it seemed like just reading between the lines, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like just looking at that in the in the larger picture that Malcolm wanted his own team. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have clarity on whether he wanted his own team to where he was delusional enough to put himself above Giannis. I have a hard time believing that. But I think that clearly, I mean, we just talked about Chris Middleton and the fact that, you know, he, he still, I mean, he's got all-star appearances under his belt, but he still isn't convincing anybody as a conventional all-star and, and a guy who is uh, a co-star in the way that it's Harden and Westbrook and, you know, all these other dynamic duos. It's just different with this squad. And so I hear you on, on Malcolm. Um, I also think if you're the Bucks, it's a tricky situation, right? Because if you go ahead and cut that check for Malcolm after cutting that check for Chris, you know, in terms of just efficiency of contracts, I mean, those are two of the more overpaid star caliber players in the league. Yeah, you know, if you did those two deals uh, and then you're still faced with the prospect of Giannis leaving and, and then you're paying these guys who would probably be a middle of the road Eastern Conference team if he skipped town. So it's a tricky one for them. Oh, yeah. And it gets even more tricky when we throw in the bled equation, right? Yeah, 100%. That that extension for Bled last year was uh, it, tricky timing for them because it almost was a dare to Malcolm of like, hey, we got our point guard and we've locked him in long term. And so the, our, our cap is tight. We're going to go into deep in the luxury tax for the right people. We're going to say all those things. But we also have the incumbent Eric Bledsoe here. And I feel like it was a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush type move where uh, they wanted to lock in some stability and, and knowing that Malcolm uh, was going to be a restricted free agent could have been a situation where, Hey, uh, we might lose two of these guys uh, eventually. Uh, let's just get one of them in the fold and, and, and let's not be revisionist history about this either. Malcolm had foot problems last year uh, throughout his career. Right. And so there is some risk on that end. And now Eric Bledsoe has a, a fractured shin and he might be out for a couple of weeks here. And, I'm sure the Chris Paul uh, rumors will start at some point, but man, they're playing about like this season could not go any better for them because the, uh, the Giannis factor he's playing uh, at another level after a whirlwind summer. I just think that this it's early, but it's gone really, really well for the bucks. Now let's talk about this other thing that's happened. Uh, LeBron uh, is getting into it with uh, Doc Rivers a little bit about load management. And I wanted your take because you've talked to Jerry West about load management. You've talked to people around the league. What do you think is like the core issue here? Uh, because Doc Rivers said, I don't know what they're doing over there. I think whatever LeBron says is what they're going to do uh, when, it turn- when it comes to resting LeBron. LeBron says he's not going to rest. If he's healthy, he's going to play. But I feel like if... Doc Rivers was the coach of the Celtics and Kawhi was playing for the Celtics or, or if it was a team that wasn't in LA, I don't think LeBron would be this uh, hard-nosed about this issue. Interesting. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think there's a little bit of LA factor here of, of just yeah, the, I the mean, two playing against each other. I agree. I mean, the LA thing in general is, is I've been, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for the pettiness. Um, I mean, <laughs> listen, the, the Lakers are not fans at all. Uh, then I'm talking above the LeBron level of the way the Clippers have decided to market themselves. I think they wish that the Clippers would just stand on their own two feet as opposed to having everything be through the optics of them being the anti-Lakers. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about, uh, you know, if you drive down, you know, if you, if you drive, I was here a couple of uh, weeks ago, if you're in Inglewood, there's a huge 
billboard. It's streetlights over spotlight is one of their marketing slogans. You know, oh, that's, that's a shot at the Clippers. They're all about the blacktop. That's the way they tried to recruit Kawhi Leonard. And that's the way they're marketing their team now. And the, the irony is, if I'm being honest with my own two cents and opinion, that I, I think the Lakers so far are showing more of those qualities than the Clippers are. And even, you know, from a media standpoint, an accessibility standpoint, you know, Kawhi has been very tough to uh, to get after games. And it just it does make me laugh a little bit. The Clippers are are almost quickly becoming more of a glitz and glamour team in L.A. And I think LeBron, to your load management question, is leaning into not only the L.A. thing and, and this part, I think, Tom, you and I can both appreciate and relate to. Like he's pulling the old man card in a pretty entertaining way where he's like, man, I'm the 35 year old with, you know, the third most call me old, of all Sam? time. I sure as hell did. I'm bringing you into my club. Come on, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. I mean, come on. Did I see the other day on social media? Is it true, Tom, that, that you have a, another podcast about fatherhood? Yeah, is, is this a thing? It's yeah. about I not mean, you knowing. have a dad pod. I have a dad. I'm literally, <laughs> I'm that guy who just started a podcast to talk about being a dad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm bald. So, uh, yes. Doug, I did the broadcast with Doug Christie the other night. Um, that's a I get. Oh, that nice. A, is that a is that a brag? A humble brag? I did the broadcast. That's with, pretty, it's one of my favorite people on the planet, man. I love that and guy. and on the air, Sam. He just totally you know threw me on the bus. He was like, "Hey, it's always great to do a show with someone just as bald as me." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah," because Grant he's not he he's got a nice head of hair, so. Uh, At I, least you owned it. I mean, you're not doing the LeBron thing where you try to pretend it's not coming for years and years and years. You know, you, you just kind of leave. You're fine. You're good. You don't get sensitive about it, Tom. I'm just saying that when you when you reach, I mean, for LeBron, it's his elderly status is different because at this age, professionally in his you know career, you just shouldn't be doing things like this. And for him to be able to do uh, PR wise like a victory lap on the minutes front, on the load management front, on the I'm here for the kids who paid for the ticket to come see me play. Like that's everything that Kawhi clearly doesn't take into account with his formula. And I'm not judging Kawhi. With his health history, I do get it. I get it 100%. The guy, to a degree, I think, saw the edge when it comes to his career. And you play nine games that one season with the Spurs. You're frustrated by your body. You don't know what's happening, why you don't feel the way you want to feel. I do understand it. I just think that LeBron is you, – you've covered him so in-depth. You know how savvy he is. You know, he knows what he's doing here. He knows look, how good that looks. Look, Sam, let's let's point out a simple fact. Last year, he LeBron James sat out a nationally broadcast ABC game uh, the day – the game after – he returned from his groin injury and it was load management. It was a Saturday ABC game against the Warriors, a huge high profile game, Lakers, Steph Curry, all that. And he sat out the game load management. Then when he came back from his groin injury, he took off a bunch of back to backs, um, the second night of back to backs. And then he shut down the season with about what, like six games to go in April. And this is what LeBron does Every almost every year he played 82 games, of course, right. a few years ago. But he does take nights off at the end of the regular season to prep for the playoffs. I am not knocking him for that. What I am saying is Kawhi is doing this load management thing is not dissimilar to what LeBron has been doing for several years. And let's po- we can always point to 2014. Funny story about that. 2014, I remember being in Miami. I was covering uh, covering the NBA in Miami at that point. And uh, LeBron had gone back to Cleveland. 
And um, that was, I think, the David Blatt year. And at the end of December, I was walking around uh, Coconut Grove and I had seen LeBron's trainer, Mike Mancius. And I was like, wait a minute. Why is Mike here? And I remember being, I texted a couple people and I was like, wait, LeBron is taking games off with the Cavs to rest his back and, and get treatment. Um, but he's in Miami. <laughs> and he was in Miami yeah. for like two weeks, Sam. And it was right, like, right, and look, right. I think LeBron was, I mean, I've confirmed that LeBron was getting treatment going to see a back specialist in Miami. So it wasn't just he was at uh, live every night and hanging out at the standard during the day. No, this is not what the case was. But the idea of a guy taking a break for two weeks in the season, leaving his team, leaving David Blatt and leaving his teammates in the middle of a season for two weeks, LeBron did that. Right. So I think right. the load yep. management conversation, I think LeBron is taking and leaning, like you say, leaning into the idea that I am different than that guy over there for the Clippers. But I'm not so sure he is all that different. That's fair. I mean, LeBron is counting on you forgetting everything you clearly didn't forget, Tom. Uh, these guys would prefer that we don't add in context and nuance. It is ironic. It reminds me of this clip that I saw yesterday. Uh, you probably saw it too when when KG Kevin, uh, Kevin Garnett's making the rounds to promote that movie he's in with Adam Sandler right now. He does the Simmons podcast and he kind of went in on LeBron from the old Heat Celtics rivalry days. And he makes his point about how you know we all knew the the agenda the league had. LeBron came to Miami because he didn't want the the the, the Heat, so to speak, of being in Cleveland doing it by himself. Somebody retweeted this whole clip. And they're like, wait a minute, like, didn't KG go to Boston, like, partly because he couldn't, like, I mean, I know it was a trade, but that he had to approve the trade and that, you know, he didn't want to do it alone in Minnesota anymore. And same type of deal, like, you know, no, don't bring up the history because it's then the hypocrisy comes to light. But again, in 2019, I am here for this Lakers Clippers landscape because LeBron is adding fuel to that fire. Doc is adding fuel to that fire. Kawhi doesn't add fuel. He just kind of, you know, sits in the driver's seat and, and makes things happen. But um, it, it's kind of fun. It's it's also convenient for LeBron because AD coming to the Lakers has clearly energized him. It sparked his entire Washed King campaign that he's living up to and he's playing so well. Um, as a quick aside, though, Tom, to, I guess, tie a bow on the MVP thing, one of our guys who does a great job covering the Pistons at the Athletic, James Edwards, I don't know if you noticed this yesterday, like he ended up writing a whole separate short column about why he didn't even have LeBron in his top five on his MVP list. And one of his feelings and perspectives and arguments that I think ties into what we're talking about is that he was so – like the LeBron spirit last season kind of stained the way that he had been looking at LeBron – um, and because we've seen this shift and he felt like, well, if AD is the one who came to town and, and, and got you back to where you should have been before, then I think AD deserves the credit. So he picked AD as his Lakers MVP candidate for the moment. So agree or disagree. I, I think, you know, that dynamic is interesting too. just the way that that LeBron has, has now been empowered because of uh, AD and what he brings. I mean, I could throw it right back and be like, uh, is AD going there if it weren't for LeBron? You know, like maybe he's yeah, more yeah. maybe he's more valuable because he's the draw for Anthony Davis. So it's almost like for sure. Well, you can flip it too because <laughs> it's like LeBron was it was it was a net negative with him 
quote unquote alone with the Lakers last season. Fine. That's true. But obviously if you go ahead and, you know, cut the cameras over to new Orleans, uh, certainly a, a net negative with a lot of toxicity mm-hmm. with Anthony Davis in new Orleans. So, you know, I mean, you can take that whichever way you want, but I think as it relates to the load management stuff, like my only point is that LeBron, because of the way he's playing, because of the help he has now, and because of how much they are winning, like he can not only win these ball games, but he can win the PR, you know, the press conference too on the load management stuff. He can win fans by telling them, I'm here for you. I'm not going to take any nights off. And, you know, the, the, the seven-year-olds who come to these games don't remember what happened back in 2014, nor do they care. And and I also think it's it's – it's a little short-sighted to be arguing about this now in November when we're not even seeing the returns on quote-unquote load management. Sure. Right? Like, let's talk in June when uh, when the season's all said and done. Maybe things are different. Maybe LeBron looks back at his season and says, maybe I wish I didn't go so hard in October yeah, and November. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's different. It's like someone... Didn't Doc kind of say that? Yeah, yeah. He alluded yeah. to that. It's just like, look, this yeah. is what we need to do for the long haul. You know, this is what we feel is right. And uh, and I think that it's kind of like when you go and you start a diet and your buddy's looking at you making a, eating a salad and he's making fun of you and you're like, hey, check back in like a month, right? <laughs> like if, Exactly. Like th- I'm not doing this for today. I'm doing this for, you know, the long haul. And so I think it's, um, you know, LeBron has... I have, t- wait, hold on, Tom. I have a more appropriate analogy. You just went, that was like super G-rated. I mean... You and I have been working in the same industry for a long time. It's more like it's the playoffs. Tom, Sam, and a bunch of media folks are, are going to the bar to have a couple drinks. <laughs> Sam looks at Tom, and he's like, Tom, come on, man. You wuss. Have, have one more. Have two more. Let's go. Tom looks at Sam and says, all right, we'll see how you feel tomorrow and, and who got more rest. And, and, and we'll load recalibrate man- I'm going to load manage myself and go to bed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. No, that, that's definitely happened before, Sam. That's not just it a, it's a, not a it hypothetical. Is. That's uh <laughs> that's a real thing that we uh we writers deal with on in the playoff grind. And look, I okay, and to go back to the KG thing real quick. Last year I sat down with Chris Bosh and I said, "How did you know that Miami like when did you know that Miami was uh, not just a possibility but that you wanted to do this whole like group up with other stars thing?" And he said 2010 NBA All-Star game. He sits down in a room it on in the locker room with KG and it was just them two sitting there in the locker room. And he looked at KG and said, look, man, I know you don't like me. I know we're kind of rivals at this point in the Eastern conference, but uh, I look up to you and I want to know when did you know that it was time to get out of mini and how did you Minneapolis and how did you know it was time to get out of the Timberwolves organization and why, uh, what, what kind of made you flip? And he said, you know, you just want to play with other guys who can take pressure off of you. And so you can just focus on basketball and forget about all the other things that come in with being like a number one or an alpha and all that stuff, being the start that you want to play with other guys where you can just focus on who. And that's what Chris Bosh, to him, Chris Bosh recalls that conversation and said, that is the moment when I said, you know, it's okay. Because KG is the one who's telling me, you know, in KG's terms that he, t- that he told Bill Simmons, consolidate, right? He said right, LeBron right. consolidated because we broke him in Cleveland. And I would, if I were talking to KG, I'd be like, who, who broke you to force you to consolidate and force a trade right. out of Minnesota? Well, he didn't make the playoffs for the first three years or the last three years or two years before he left. And so I'm, I, I think it's, 
Sam, we are asked to, you know, go on radio shows, podcasts, write all the time. But if I had a mic up to my face three times a day to talk about all the biggest topics in the league for 300 days out of the year, I would probably be talking out of both sides of my mouth too. So getting on KG and LeBron and Doc for, you know, talking out of both sides of their mouths. Look, I get it. Um, But I do think for listeners out there who are one side of this or the other, just know that like Russell Westbrook is taking games off, right? He's, he's had some DNP rest this season. Uh, James Harden does not do that. And, do we want that for James Harden? Do we want him to just blow the doors off of people in the regular season and then not do as well in the postseason? I think these all should be um, talked about and not just from a health perspective. LeBron is in a different place than Kawhi Leonard and no one likes to talk about medicals. No one likes to get down, go down that road, but they are in different situations, but make no mistake about it. LeBron has uh, DNP rested before, uh, even as recently in the last few months. All right, we're coming up on the G League showcase. You're going to be there, and you're going to start pumping people for intel about the trade season wins. I have five players here that I've written down that, Sam, I want to get your opinion on. Most likely to be traded this uh, at before the deadline and least likely to be traded. I got five names here, okay? I got Andre Godala, Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Love, Chris Paul, Drew Holiday. Again, Iguodala, Gallo, Kevin Love, CP, and Drew Holiday. Who is most likely to be traded in your opinion and who is least likely to be traded? Disclaimer, which you kind of just alluded to, and full disclosure, I have not dived in with both feet just yet to this part of our season. I'll know more in a couple of days. My early sense from the list you're giving me, I do not – I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to reverse engineer it. I don't anticipate Chris Paul being traded. Kevin Love certainly could be traded. I, I think his money is just massive, and so I'm going to put him next on the, the backwards list. Yep, he's behind due CP. $28.9 million in 2023. Right. Okay. Right. And okay. it's reached a point where he can – I just don't think that any team out there exists where they are so short-sighted on what they're trying to accomplish this year and what Kevin could do to help with that that they're going to be able to, to stomach that number that far down the road um so it's become something i made this comparison the other day to someone it sounds crazy but like it's almost like a low-key version of the kobe contract post achilles like the 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 Cavs took care of kevin love you know what i mean they did and and, um maybe a small part of them actually thought they were going to build around him going forward but in retrospect you know it looks like a, a tough decision because they very quickly went into the rebuild and here we are so I have a hard time seeing Kevin go anywhere, and and I you know part of me also reads the room and says like I haven't read it yet, but he just did what appears to be a pretty compelling interview with with our Jason Lloyd, who's covered the Cavs uh, for a long time out in Cleveland. And one of my thoughts when I saw that interview was like, oh boy, Kevin wants out so bad that like like he's telling tales, you know, he's out there. Uh, I feel like that's you know those things are intertwined a little bit. So I think it's gonna be hard for Kevin to get out of Cleveland. Um, and I don't Gallo, know where he goes. I don't know where he goes. Just to quickly, yeah. I mean, the Portland that. thing. Well, so like you, you could argue that Carmelo Anthony got in his way in Portland. Be, I mean, certainly it's pennies on the dollar by comparison. And so then you got to analyze, you know, how much better is Kevin Love than Melo at this point? I think it's significant, but it, you know, to to take you know take on that kind of money and have that really possibly determine your future with Damian Lillard. You know, I know he's got a ton of years left on that extension he signed, but like. 
you know, you, you gotta like, that's a massive move that you have to really think about. I don't see that happening. Um, the Kings are one team, you know, I'm always kind of poking around there that I was told a while back that they would have some interest in Kevin. But again, I don't, I think it would have to be like, you know, it's not even a matter of what they're giving up. They've, they've got to put in some incentives there on the Cleveland side. And, and I don't see that happening either. So that one's going to be hard because I don't have it in front of me remind me of gallo's uh money is he expiring He's expiring 22 that's what i thought yeah yep 23 gallo's. million and and that's interesting for portland because they got um hassan whiteside's contract that they could flip uh and then attach like a protected first round pick or whatever it is if the price tag for or, or if it's if they can't stomach the idea of trading for kevin love long term and there's also the port the as you mentioned, the Portland angle of, you know, he's from there. What does CJ and Dame think about that? Um, you know, adding him. They might just say, look, if we want a short-term option, maybe he, we can get uh, Gallo for this run. Gallo's really good. And actually, I jumped the gun because he, he should be higher up the list. As far as, the you know, the guys who won't be on the move, I'm going to put Holiday next because, honestly, I think Dave Griffin, the Pelicans GM, really wants to see what Zion looks like next to Drew and – I, I mean, I know they're playing terribly. There's a ton of heat on Alvin Gentry right now. You know, we reported about ten days ago that that he was safe uh, because the you know the injuries had given him cover, and that Griff wanted to see how this looked. But you know, they've just been awful. But if you go back to last summer, as you remember, I mean, they framed their whole entire season and their future around the fact that Drew Holiday, you know, they they tried to tell us was the franchise centerpiece, and Zion was an exciting addition. They were trying to take heat off of Zion. So um, not to say that Drew can't be on the move because there's a tipping point for everything, and they are certainly tipping in a bad way. But then from there, the Gallo thing, I mean, he's really good. He's he's a low risk in terms of the length of that contract. Um, and, and, and again, like I just said, he's really good. I feel like we forget that. Like he was good with the Clippers. He's, you know, he's been good with the Thunder, who have been really competitive. So he is, to me, a game changer and a guy who – you know, as far as being a better two-way player than some of these other options, um, he's not too bad on that front. And so, uh, you know, I see him uh, maybe being at the top of the list. I know I'm now all over the place. But, uh, you know, the, the Iggy thing, I'm going to put him in his own lane. I don't have clarity on the kind of the thing that matters most of all, which is just where Memphis is at with what they're going to be asking for at this juncture versus what they asked for a few months back. You know, they were trying to get a first-rounder for him that obviously didn't happen. I know the Rockets felt pretty confident about a bunch of different deals that they had put on the table for him, thought that they could eventually get that over the finish line, now seem to have given up on it. Um, you know, the the buzz almost all the way through has been that one way or another that Andre would find his way to the Lakers. You know, that would appear to, to have to be like but there's, a, a they, buyout. They don't seem to need, quote unquote, need him right now, right? They go, they right. go up to like a franchise best start here. And same with the Clippers is that their second seed, 21 and eight, like Kawhi and PG playing together looks great. I, I right. think if you're, if you're, um, if you're Memphis, this has not gone very well for you because it doesn't seem like nope. these teams are banging down the door. We need Iguodala right now. Right. Absolutely. Dallas I, is I will say though, for Dallas, uh, Iguodala. That is for sure. Um, and I'm, shoot, now you got me kicking myself. I wish I would have thrown that one off of Mark Cuban when I talked to him when I was out there. Not that he would ever talk about another team's player. Of course, player. of course but, um, <laughs> but Dallas is interesting because you do have incentive um, and you have a little window where 
you can dare to dream and, and think, you know, like here's the best case scenario for the Mavs. Um, and this is like putting on your super rosy positive hat. Like we can convince ourselves that, you know what, in the end, the Luca ankle injury was actually a positive. For one, he got a chance to, to slow down amidst a crazy season and rest up a little bit. Uh, but more importantly, Porzingis got some time to rediscover his game. He's coming off three straight 2010 performances. I talked to him briefly in Milwaukee about his mindset and kind of the welcome challenge of learning how to play with Luca, who uh, he had done an interview uh, KP did with, with our Sham Sharani recently where he had a line that cracked me up where he just, he just, you know, he said, Luca's got the, I'm now I'm dropping it. It's like, he just said, Luca's got the effing ball a lot and it's true. Uh, and, and Porzingis has had to learn how to get through that and how to find himself. So maybe this little window ends up helping his game. Then you combine those two superpowers at their best. And then you go find somebody else on the open market. Now, Andre's not, he's not a third star at this point, but man alive. Like I, I was around those Warriors teams so much that guy could be playing at his worst and still bring value to your locker room. Uh, and then considering what we saw last year, I don't think that's the version you would see. I mean, he was pretty good last year, even at this kind of advanced age. I know. And I, at that point in the finals, I think, I think I wrote in the finals that he's a hall of famer. And one of the things right. that I talked about with Steve Kerr was he's an amplifier, right? He's a guy who's going to make everyone that like just a little bit better. Everybody on the team, just a little bit better. He's not going right. to uh, be loading up the box score with huge numbers, but he's a great passer. He's a great leader. He's a great defender. Sometimes, you know, he's a streaky shooter, but I think him in terms of relieving some of the pressure off of Luca and being a great wing defender, I think you fit perfectly there. So, all right. So to recap, Sam, you've got uh Gallo as the most likely to move. Yes. And then you have least likely, I'm going to say. I took Chris. Iggy off your list, and I just I just think he's his own thing. Yeah. But, but yeah. And then uh, Gallo, Chris, Paul, Chris Paul, it's just hard to match the money, and the Lakers aren't going to blow this thing up for, for CP at this point. Nor should they. Are you really you want to take the ball out of LeBron's hands? That's what I'm – I mean, I, I yeah. could see the – if the Lakers weren't signing Melo – and it, I don't see them going for CP. And, and it probably goes against what everyone thinks is happening in L.A., that LeBron is the GM. But if he was the GM, he would have signed Melo. Uh, he would have signed mm – -hmm. he would have traded for Chris Paul already and Kuzma, Sia. Um, that, that hasn't happened. So I just – when He's when, also – he's. I mean, I, you're right on the GM thing, and then people always assume that. I think people also forget that it's like these dudes are like brothers, right? You know, Melo, CP, D-Wade, and LeBron – that doesn't mean that LeBron has lost. I mean, his basketball IQ and his IQ in general is through the roof. And he has two, He has a pair of eyes. He could see the state of uh, the status of Melo's game. And that's one thing that last season I thought kind of got overlooked. Like, I had people telling me at the time that, like, yes, you know, as far as the way LeBron sees Melo and possibly joining the Lakers, that, like, Melo's conditioning would have to be up to par. His The state, you know, state of his game would have to be there. And for one, by the way, this dude in Portland is quite a bit, you know, uh, leaner than the guy was last year. And, you know, I think LeBron could never admit it, probably never would admit it. But I think he looked at it and said, I'm not sure that's the uh, kind of the thing I want to do right now. And Sam, to your credit, uh, pointing this out, and I'm glad we hit on Melo real quick. Melo was unplayable in that OKC series with against Utah. Yeah. 
had the worst plus minus yep. of any player in the first round that year. They had to be, they had to take him off the floor. Couldn't move at that stage of the playoffs. So playing for the Portland, playing for Portland, like the bar isn't as high as it is for Houston last year or the Lakers this year, right? Like the the level of play that Carmelo Anthony has to hit to make himself a valuable contributor to the team. In the regular season, it's fine. Like you can play um, average sixteen a game in the regular season, but come postseason, I don't know if LeBron wants to have that uncomfortable conversation with Melo. Like we we have to win now, and we have to have as few guys who are liabilities on the defensive end as possible, and they're going to exploit you. And I don't know if that's a it's a conversation that LeBron wants to have. And it's not just about the Rockets. It's not. I'm, you wrote about this recently. The starting lineup thing is, I think, re- very real. I mean, not just the the, the yeah. media day in OKC where he scoffed at the notion of a reporter saying, "Hey, whether you're starting or whether you're coming off the bench," and he just laughed at the dude. And I was in the room, man. It was. I mean, it, that's those are the optics that kind of dug his grave, and and I think still haunt him. And the thing, the story you alluded to. I talked to Vince Carter. It was actually for a different feature story for down the road, but Vince and I, it was a phone interview. We, I ended up asking him about Mello, and no better source than 42-year-old Vince Carter to discuss the transition from superstardom to role player. You know, Vince has not been a starter for more than eight years now, which is kind of crazy because time flies. But Vince was the one, when I just asked his general opinion of Mello, who said a bunch of nice things, but then also highlighted the reality that he wondered what would happen next for Melo because he is starting in Portland. And, and really, like nothing about this particular situation is has changed the, the problem with Melo late in his career. Like he's getting what he wants right now. They're not, I mean, I think they have a losing record at this point since he came to the club. And I know I sound like I'm being that guy who's raining on the fun mellow parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his numbers have been pretty good. I'm looking at him here. At, you know, 42 percent from the field. He's been good, certainly. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 41 from three. Um, but it is, I think, a unique opportunity for him. And once because we get to he's the, the unquestioned starter on that team, right? Right. And I think Vince and he has dudes who like I think Damian and CJ both. They're kind of digging the fact that they can be the young guys who like they were there for the OG. You know what I mean? Like it has that vibe to it a little bit too, where I think Damien cares about uh, the player community and with good reason. But again, uh, I think a pretty unique landscape. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. Hey, this is Jason Gall from the Bulls Talk Podcast. I recently sat down with former NBA All-Star Tim Hardaway to discuss a number of topics, including the differences in the style of play from the time he played. Before analytics, it was a lot of people like Bernard King, Michael Jordan, that scored 50, 60, just mid-range jump shots. Your percentage is going down. Harden, we not even talk. Are we going to 8 for 38? Come on, man. To listen to the full interview, Don Download the Tim Hardaway episode of Bulls Talk for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. Whenever you have a player like Vince or a, a reporter like ourselves uh, say, I wonder if da-da-da-da-da. Wonder is just a code word for I think. Because we just we want to sure. couch whatever we're saying and, and say, I wonder if, uh, if LeBron really wants Carmelo on his team. I think Vince Carter and what all of us are alluding to is I think Melo really wants to start and it's a big deal to right. him and the the Blazers had a need they had a hole that they uh, at, at the four position because of Zach Collins 
Um, and then they, they let go Al Farouk in the, in the off season. But I think that situation is perfect for him. And I don't know how many situations were perfect for him. It, was he open and amenable to playing a backup role? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Given the fact that he lasted what, 10 games in Houston after being demoted to the bench and not playing with Chris Paul and, and James Harden. Do I think that had a factor? And of course I do. And you know what? Right. Like, if he's willing to pay the repercussions of that and being out of the league for all that time, um, then so be it. He's he's looking he's looking good right now. But this isn't about just the the starting. This isn't just about a campaign against Melo league wide. If you saw him in the playoffs two years ago, I don't blame Houston and the other teams who passed on him that are trying to win a championship. I don't blame them. I don't blame them because that is no. A I don't huge, either. A huge star personality that you have to deal with and the ego in that locker room, not to say like, I've heard great things about Mello in New York. Um, like he wasn't a diva. He wasn't a prima Donna. He came in, did his work. Um, he's about as drama free as they come. But I do think at this stage in his career, he wants to prove that he can still play at a high level. And if it comes playoff time, winning time, conference finals, can you play Mello out there? So Portland probably doesn't have to worry about that too much, but the Lakers and the Rockets and the other teams at the top too. So last thing here, what is the team that you're going to the G League's showcase? What is the team that you feel like you want to get the most information on in terms of what they're going to do this trade season? Is it Portland? Is it Miami? Because the Drew Holiday thing with Jimmy Butler, I think is interesting, but then you look at the fact that Drew Holiday is going to eat into their 2021 cap space. And that's going to be a deal breaker for not just Chris Paul in the sense that I got from talking to people around the league is that Chris Paul, uh, the idea of Chris Paul uh, as a star that can play next to Jimmy Butler has his issues just in terms of the, the personalities. But I think the biggest thing is that they want to keep their books free for say when Giannis or the rest of the league is going to be free agent in 2021. So, um, which teams do you think are the swing teams in the NBA that at the trade deadline, if they make a move, that could be a game changer? Yeah, I mean, the 2021 factor is big. I agree with you on the Miami front. I don't see them cutting into that space. Um, I, If I've gotten to see, I mean, New Orleans is is, is going to, it's just a question of are they going to become a seller and, and, yep. and when. Um, the tough Redick part would be Drew, a huge, huge addition for any team. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, you know, he's on that short list of, of targets all over the league uh, once they kind of say yes and take those phone calls. This is a little off that path you, you went down. I'm curious about Denver just in terms of almost the psychological aspect of Tim Conley, their GM. What's their mindset? at this point with this group, I'm going to cheat and look at the standings. Cause I watched their game last night. They had this roaring comeback against Orlando had this incredible, I think 24 to nothing run. And you saw the nuggets at their best. So they're third in the West right now, 18 and eight. Um, I would be a little bit worried about Jokic. Um, he, he's come back recently, but if you're asking yourself and you're Tim Conley and you're Mike Malone and uh, the rest of that group, if you're asking yourself, like, what does this look like in May? I don't feel any better now than I did, you know, last May when they were, uh, you know, going out against Portland in the conference finals. Um, it, it feels like they need more, and they have a bunch of expiring guys uh, on their team. So I think Denver is a very interesting one. Hmm, um, Chris Paul potentially in Denver as another star, and they got a bunch of expirings, and they might have a need at point guard just to, you know, Jamal Murray isn't a pure point guard. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I've always thought Denver is a sneaky Chris Paul destination because of the fact they only have one 
real veteran on the roster, Paul Millsap. And right. they got Jeremy Grant. And Paul Millsap's an expiring at the same level of Chris Paul's contract. So I don't think it's going to happen, but I think Denver is a sneaky Chris Paul if there is one. Yeah, I hadn't honestly thought about that one. I, I, I kind of love it. You know, it, it, it's going, you better hope that Chris obviously can be Chris for the next few years. And to his credit, here's the funny thing. If you put Chris, like compare him to Drew Holiday right now, Chris has comported himself in the kind of way that gets you traded, even with all that money, because he's been good. You know, Drew. The you know the uh, the downside for him is that, you know, this is a time for him to show that he is that guy. Uh, you know, but he hasn't. Uh, I can see that happening. I even kind of love the optics of Chris going to OKC, uh, even off the court, carrying himself in a good way. Mm-hmm. Rave reviews from the Thunder. If you're Denver and you're wondering, is, is this guy? you know, such a, a big star and such a big city dude that, you know, kind of forced its way to LA. Like who is he as a person? Like, I think Chris would make me feel confident that no, I can go rock with Denver and go win a ton of games and, and be a title contender. So that is interesting. And I also think that, I don't know, like knowing Mike Malone fairly well, um, he's obviously not running the front office and the roster, but I think it's safe to assume like his level of urgency as a coach yep. is going to be through the roof. Um, you know, you, you can see that in, in his hesitancy to play Michael Porter Jr., um, who's been getting DMPs like crazy. And I just think if, if you're uh, the coach, you say, yeah, let's go. Because Jamal, obviously not a natural point guard. Gary Harris has had his struggles, and that would take their offense to a new level. And that's where they've got problems. And then, you know, CP is a two-way player. So, you know, maybe you get even better defensively. Yeah, Utah, I don't see Utah getting in the mix at the, at the deadline simply because I just uh, – I think they made their trade with Mike Conley. Like, I think that's – and they made their big signing in, in uh, bogey. So, I think that is right. – Utah's – I think Utah's off. Uh, Houston's interesting for the Iguodala. Um, Miami's interesting because they're, they're overachieving this season, and I think you could talk yourself into one piece away. Uh, but obviously a lot of those guys at 2021 hurt you in that chase. Yeah, Portland, of course, is is super interesting. I wonder what San Antonio does and whether they're going to punt. That one's interesting. Yeah, like the DeRozan situation I think is worth monitoring. You know, he had uh, talked to them about an extension going into the season, a veteran extension, and that obviously didn't happen. You know, I think DeMar's level of urgency to get to a more competitive situation is very high, um, you know, and, and to me, that's the guy that, you know, do they punt and, you know, it's going to be weird barring a second half turnaround here. You know, the Spurs are on track to miss those playoffs for the first time in a long time. So, you know, typically that kind of a, a shift would lead to a roster movement. I think DeMar's ready for a Lou Williams type turn to his career. I just think he's, I think he's a, an amazing scorer, an improved distributor. He's really tough to, like, I don't, I don't think people quite know uh, the on-off splits for him are atrocious over his career, and I think he's ready for like playing against second units and just dominating. So I think that's yeah, interesting yeah. seeing I like that seeing Demar in a winning situation and being that super sub like Lou Williams and made it cool. Um, I know you got to go, Sam, but um, I want I want to do a little trivia question for you before you go. I usually do this at the front, but I had to throw it at you. You're from Pleasanton, California. Correct. It's near Alameda. Uh, Alameda County. Uh, it's about 20 minutes from Oakland. So it's the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay area. Can you name the two NBA players who went to uh, high school in Alameda? In Alameda? 
I cannot. I'm falling G- short here, Jason buddy. Jason Kidd. Oh, they're giving Kidd Alameda? That's, All what right. they're, that's what they're giving on Basketball Reference. Um, right. Jason Kidd and Isaiah J.R. Ryder. So Ryder, J.R., I'm, I'm missing the boat on. I always, I mean, J. Kidd, to me, yeah, I guess that's Alameda. Quick, fun J. Kidd story for you, Tom. And since it's going to come full circle, because I called us both old, but yes. then I'm going to make us both feel better by highlighting that Jason Kidd is older. Um, <laughs> when I was, uh, I went to Amador Valley High School in Pleasanton, and my my older sisters were on the dance team and whatnot. So I'd go to the the games, and uh, we had a pretty good high school basketball team. That when I was like ten or eleven, you know, these guys were super competitive, and they had a tournament called the ABC tournament, where it's the only time of year when the big boys would come to town, and, and it was hosted at Amador Valley in Pleasanton. And and Jay Kidd and his St. Joe's high school team would come through, and it was that was the annual highlight. This the, the hype around him, even pre social media, pre everything, pre Sports Center, uh, was so great that the basketball, you know, the annual basketball highlight for me as a young kid, no pun intended, was watching Jason Kidd. So I always thought he was incredible, and then you know even uh, had my little dream come true one day when uh, I went to a Cal Berkeley college football game. He obviously went to Cal, uh, once got Jay Kidd's autograph on like a styrofoam cup that who knows, you know, on, on God's green earth, like where this cup is now. But, you know, but that's it. Whenever I'm feeling like I got the gray coming through and, and that I'm the one getting old, I, I like to think back on that story. But yeah, Jay Kidd was, was a huge part of kind of my basketball fabric in that area growing up. Here's the thing. If you just shave your head like me and Doug Christie and Jay Kidd kind of, you don't have to worry about the great coming through, man. <laughs> you don't. I, I like it. See, instead, I just go to great clips and tell the, the, the nice barber to just cut it as short as possible. And, and the only incentive, you know, I've gone from getting haircuts maybe every eight or nine weeks to, you know, shortening it up to four or five weeks, maybe six weeks for the sole purpose of getting rid of the, the stragglers, the grays that are coming through. But I don't, I've, Tom, I've been bald before. Uh, I know that's going to surprise you. Um, it was not very pretty. I'm, I'm very white. Uh, I have kind of that beaker thing going on with my head shape. And, uh, when I was in college, we, me and a couple of buddies on a dare decided to all shave our heads. And my mom was actually getting married at that time. And she was not happy with me cause I was in the wedding. And so there's some, some uh-huh. wedding pictures. My mom's, uh, you know, second marriage that she was not thrilled with her only son for the, uh, the pasty pre- uh, presentation that he brought to the wedding. So, you you can rock it, brother. I don't think I I can. You and wedding Jason photos Kidd got last it. forever, man. Flags oh, fly forever, and wedding photos last forever. It wasn't even just bald. I I think you could in the pictures even see like the the razor scrapes on my head because it was a bunch <laughs> of you know college kids that were just being stupid. But yeah, bald's not going to work for me. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, you have a great head of hair. Keep it, man. Keep it as long as you can. And on that note. Get out there, uh, get some sleep, uh, load manage some sleep before Vegas, man. You're going to need it. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon, man. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. And that'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. I want to thank Sam Amick for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more insight on covering the LA teams, LeBron and Kawhi, PG, and all that stuff, go check out my interview with LA Times national NBA writer Dan Wojcicki from the last episode of The Haber Show. But first and foremost, enjoy the holidays.